Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. So the fact that that year, Goldie Blocks won not one, but two awards, including People's Choice, I mean, nobody could believe it. Right. Like everybody in the toy industry who had always just thought, well, construction is a boy play pattern and it's not a girl play pattern. We're just like beside themselves. Right. And and that was when the disruption really started to occur because I think it really sunk in and it was because of the Kickstarter and because of social media that I was able to help prove the demand that was there in the marketplace. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to season two of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season will focus on disruption. From disrupting industries to old narratives and definitions of success, and even disrupting new ways of thinking. Today's interview is Debbie Sterling, the founder and CEO of Goldie Blocks and a woman disrupting the pink aisle. For many of us women, our childhood toys consisted of Barbies, kitchen sets, and other variations of princess obsessions. Many of the movies and TV shows we watched included a damsel in distress that would be saved by a man. And while we may have fond childhood memories with those toys, our male counterparts were being introduced to Legos, video games, requiring strategy, and following the male daredevils they saw projected on the screen. What we didn't know was that those gender stereotypes and messages would stick with many of us long-term and even impact our career choices. And that's exactly why Debbie Sterling, a Stanford-educated engineer, created Goldie Blocks, a media and toy company that helps tackle the gender gap in STEM for young women. From years spent researching gender differences and talking with neuroscientists to a successful Kickstarter campaign that raised over $1 million in pre-orders, Goldie Blocks is empowering girls every day. And Debbie's story is one you just have to hear directly in order to believe how she beat the odds and large toy corporations. On this episode, you'll totally start to rethink pink by learning how Debbie turned rejection into a major success, including winning a coveted Super Bowl ad, the science behind the importance of role models for girls, and the impact of STEM careers for women. And now, this is The Females. Okay, so let's start. Tell us what inspired you to start Goldie Blocks, and what was your career path leading up to that? 
Well, I was inspired to start Goldie Blocks because I was one of very few women in my engineering classes at Stanford. And it was years later that I was talking with a girlfriend and we were just sort of scratching our heads. Why were there so few women in our classes? And she said, well, I grew up as a little girl with three older brothers and I played with their construction toys and I watched their shows like Bob the Builder and Hanny Manny. And I always thought of myself as an engineer. And I had the total opposite childhood growing up with my sister, and we played dolls and dress up and princess, and I never even knew what engineering was. Right. And so in that moment, it was just sort of like this life calling of, oh my gosh, uh, there are millions of girls around the world just like me who never even would have thought about it, but would be really great at it. And if I could spark that interest in them and encourage them, then, you know, that could change the world. Right. Uh, and so, so yeah, that's how Goldie Blocks came into being. First of all, I love that you and your friends were having idea brunches, which I feel like every woman is listening to that thinking, yes, I want to mix brunch with like throwing around entrepreneurial ideas. Um, and from that idea brunch, you basically created the first prototype and you took it to a toy fair and all the big toy companies were like, this will never work. You're not going to change, you know, the fact that girls want to play with dolls. And what was like when you were building it? I mean, obviously you were probably inspired by some of the other toys that, you know, were quote unquote for boys. How did you actually build it, though? Like, did you have to do a bunch of research and work with a manufacturer? I think that's always sort of interesting how you go from idea to like a f tangible toy in your hand. That's a great question. At the beginning, I mean, I was just doing a ton of research because I didn't have any experience in the toy industry. Uh, I did have an engineering degree, and I so I'd kind of learned about the idea of rapid prototyping. And, um, and, and so that's what I started to do. I basically read every book and every research article I could find about gender differences and childhood development and spatial skills and motor skills development. And I ransacked the toy store and bought every product that I could up and down the construction toy aisle. And then I would observe kids playing with them. And I talk to pediatricians and parents, and I went around meeting with nonprofits that did STEM education. I even spent hours and hours at the public library checking out books that were just like... <laughs> what? Yeah, I really did. Um, and, and, and after several months of this, and by the way, while I was doing all of this, it was a total side hustle. I was actually working full-time at a job, and but this was sort of my passion project. Right. And after I'd been doing all of this research for a while and it all just started to sink in and I kind of had this aha moment and it happened actually just one day when I was watching some kids play with construction toys and it was these three girls and uh, they there were a couple of observations I made that were like, I don't know, kind of led to the lightning you know, the lightning bulb moment. Mm -hmm. uh, one was as they were playing with the construction toys, they were building out a grocery store and they were grabbing <laughs> their little characters and like acting out a scene like everybody was going shopping at the grocery store. And I just found that really interesting because it was different than how I'd observed boys playing, which was usually like they'd build a tower as tall as they could and smash it against the wall. It was like very like, you know, typically very rowdy, <laughs> very like roughhouse. And the girls were like playing out stories. And I found that really fascinating. And then the next thing that happened was the girls said to me, you know, uh, we want to do something else. We're bored of this. And so I said, okay, well, what's your favorite toy? Like, what do you want to play? And they said, well, we want to read this book. 
And so they ran upstairs and came back down, and they had a book of fairy tales. And one of the fairy tales was Goldilocks. Mm. And I'm just like sitting there reading Goldilocks, and then I'm looking across the room at the construction toys on the floor, and there was just this like moment where I'm like, wow, like these girls love stories and characters. And if you could infuse that into the building, like that would really engage them. Right, right. And so I kind of ran home and started sketching. And I sketched a character named Goldie Blocks, the girl inventor. And at the time, there really weren't any mainstream girl engineer, coder, or maker characters in pop culture at all. And so this really was, at the time, like pretty revolutionary, the idea that here's the girl engineer. And I just I, I just sat and I think I, I, I was maybe up all night writing the story of Goldie Blocks and like, what would she build? Right. And uh, in this very first story, I wrote her building a belt drive to help her dog chase his tail. And that belt drive was inspired by one of the books I found at the library. Right. And it was just like, like it was like everything was coming together. And then and then I said, OK, well. Now how would I build the belt drive? And I literally ransacked the house and found thread spools and wooden dowels and rent got pegboard from the hardware store and I like rapid prototyped this machine. And sure enough, like I maybe spent $5 on my very first prototype of Goldie Blocks. Wow, that's amazing. And I, I really love the storytelling aspect because I would say that that's still true. Like for girls, for women, for, I mean, probably for all people, but I certainly... I think about the things I engage with and it's usually I can I can tell their story back about like the brand or the product or the person and women definitely like that and obviously when we're girls it's that's probably where it's starting from thank goodness you've invented toys that are related to that um so you've said many times that your goal is to disrupt the toy industry's pink aisle which I, I honestly when I was thinking about this it's like it never even dawned on me that it is an entire – I mean, now it's changed a little bit, but back – especially when we were kids, it's an entire pink aisle. Like it's all about, you know, dolls and cooking and bakeries and makeup. And I remember begging my parents for that little kitchen set that you would – you know, you could have in your room. And, and obviously disrupting an entire industry in an aisle is no small feat because it also means disrupting gender stereotypes, which I find really fascinating – how are you overcoming that challenge? Because even with the success you have today, I'm sure it's still a challenge to overcome those gender stereotypes. But also, you had a very successful Kickstarter campaign. And so I'm kind of curious, did the success of that really solidify like any of the naysayers and what they were saying in the beginning too? Well, when I first started out, and it was right after that idea brunch, I went to the toy store and I was shocked when I found the pink aisle there. I mean, because I hadn't, I didn't have kids yet and I probably hadn't been to a toy store since I was like eight or nine years old myself. Right. Probably and hadn't changed much. <laughs> no. I mean, I think it, it well, actually it, it was worse right. than when we were What kids. year was that? Uh, it was in 2012. Okay. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I was shocked. And uh, I think, you know, I think there are a bunch of, and so I grew up as a pretty girly girl and, you know, I'm wearing a pink dress right now and I'm wearing high heel shoes. And so I don't want to make anyone feel bad about liking girly things. Like that's not the point. The right. point is that in the blue aisle with literally pictures of boys on the front of the boxes was where all of the building and engineering and math and science stuff was. And 
And, you know, and, and a lot of people have said to me, well, you can just buy that stuff then and give it to the girl. What's the problem? And I think the problem is, you know, a lot of parents, including mine, wouldn't have thought of that. Right. Right. And, and when you sort of designate, OK, here's where the girls go. Here's where the boys go. It's a problem because millions of girls for many, many years have just been missing out on developing those critical skills, including right. myself. I was completely uh, just just so behind in my engineering classes at Stanford. And so I, I set out to to change that. And with Goldie Blocks, the thought was, well, construction toys do a great job at developing motor and spatial skills and confidence in buildings. So that's where I'll start with Goldie Blocks. Right. And, uh, and, and when I first brought my prototype to the New York Toy Fair, you know, I was hoping I'd find a mentor. And in my mind, I'm like, this is brilliant. Yeah. There's nothing on the market like this. Like, this They're going to love it. Yeah. Like, everyone's going to be like, wow, what a right. great idea. And in fact, the opposite occurred where everyone just sort of looked at me and said, oh, well, didn't you know that, you know, construction toys for girls don't sell? Lego has tried for years and girls just don't play this way and it's against their nature and, you know, this is never going to work. Right. And uh, I was just shocked because I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I would have loved this when right. I was a little girl. And I've I've been testing my prototype with hundreds of girls and they all love it. Like, I don't know what these people are talking about. And so that was why I did the Kickstarter, because nobody in the toy industry would have bought it. Right. Uh, and And when I launched the Kickstarter... What was, I think, so cool about it was it was an opportunity for me to tell my story. So rather than just having some product on a shelf, you know, it was an actual video of me. And my goal for the Kickstarter video was how can I come across in this video with the passion and enthusiasm and excitement I have for this company and its mission the way I, when I go and meet somebody for a cup of coffee, by the end, they're like, oh my gosh, how do I get involved? How do I, right. I, I'm, I'm so moved. I'm so inspired. And so that was my goal for the Kickstarter. Can I exude that energy with a camera sitting six inches from my face? It's <laughs> not easy to do. No. But after multiple takes and many glasses of wine, <laughs> it came across and it really just went viral right away. Right. And after that, it was just like this domino effect where it was like the press is talking about it and, and not just as like, oh, here's this great toy, but here's this movement to encourage girls. And it just struck this chord where so many so many people like yourself were like, oh, yeah, I never thought about the pink right. aisle this way. And why it why is it this way? Like, I, I want my daughter to have every opportunity right. and every advantage. I don't want her to get boxed into this, you know, one way of girlhood. Right. And so uh, what this ended up leading to, unbelievably, was that Goldie Blocks that year won two Toy of the Year awards. And just to give you some context, because at the time I didn't know and now I do, the Toy of the Year is called the Toadies. This is like <laughs> the Oscars of the toy industry. And it's like ev all the CEOs of every major toy company goes and they're wearing like ball gowns. <laughs> and they have all of these awards and it's like... Every year, it's like, and the winner is Mattel, Hasbro, Lego. Like, it's the same companies over and over again that always win the big, the biggest toy companies. And so the fact that that year, Goldie Blocks won not one but two awards, including People's Choice, I mean, nobody could believe it. Right. Like, everybody in the toy industry who had always just thought, well, construction is a boy play pattern and it's not a girl play pattern, were just, like, beside themselves. Right. 
And and that was when the disruption really started to occur because I think it really sunk in and it was because of the Kickstarter and because of social media that I was able to help prove the demand that was there in the marketplace. Yeah, I actually really love that too because it's like you were building for the consumer and not for the toy industry. I mean, had you been doing that to impress them, it wasn't, I mean, clearly it didn't work at the at the show and then it wouldn't have worked long-term. And so that is actually incredible because especially with the Kickstarter to fund your business and your idea, it's, I mean, there's nothing, I think, probably more motivating than knowing that there's a million dollars worth of money coming in because people are so inspired by what you're doing and they really want it, you know? And I, I think that's sort of like the entrepreneurship one-on-one, make sure you're solving a, a problem, you know, test your theory out. Will people actually buy it? And like, you, you clearly prove that multiple times and then you got to prove it to the toy industry too. I'm sure that was a very rewarding moment (laughs) for sure. Well, it was because I've talked to so many people since at these big toy companies who are so excited about Goldie Blocks. And and I'm not the first person who ever came up with this idea. I mean, I'm sure that there are plenty of people and a lot of women and probably men who have pitched ideas like this at these big companies. And part of the problem is that these big companies have made a lot of money in the pink aisle. And so, you know, in most of these are public companies who, you know, are fairly risk averse, right? right. They're like, okay, this worked, so wash, rinse, wash, rinse, repeat. We'll do it again and again and again. Yeah. And so one of the thrilling things about being an entrepreneur is that you get to really take some risks and try new stuff that maybe these big companies wouldn't be willing to do. Right. And um, it definitely was a very validating moment. We're standing up there holding this award because I, I knew instinctively in that moment it uh, was going to create this ripple effect and that now that the industry had seen that this is the way the world is going, they were going to do something about it. Yeah. Do you ever, uh, were you ever worried that, okay, now I've won this award and I've proven this works. Now Mattel and Lego are just going to go out and basically duplicate what I'm doing. And they're so much bigger that they'll get there before I do. Like did that, I guess I don't want to make it sound like it was pure competition, but they are big, you know, and even with all the social media and the support from PR and things like that, like they're still much bigger companies than Goldilocks was. Yes, I thought about that a lot. And I was really mixed about it because on the one hand, for my social mission, if they went out and tried to copy Goldilocks and do it, I, you know, part of me was like, good. Yeah. Because right. I want them to do it, right? Because we need more of this stuff. Right. There's just not enough of it. And then on the other hand, as a as a business owner, you know, I had to be paranoid about that as well, you know, because I'm a small startup company with limited resources. And these are big, huge companies that are going to start going after this. And they did. Right. But interestingly, they went after it in different ways. Some of them didn't go after it at all. And some of them went after it in different ways. But nobody yet has really gone after it with the amount of authenticity that Goldilocks has. And this day and age, people really care about that. You know, young, young parents care about the stories and the leaders behind the companies and products that they buy. Right. And part of the issue and one of the advantages that Goldie Blocks has is that these big companies had never really thought about this before. And so they do have a bunch of products and properties that, you know, they they are now trying to kind of like shoehorn into the STEM movement and the girl empowerment movement, but it is pretty inauthentic because that's not how they were born. So they're sort of having a tough time, you know, entering into the space and and a lot of them are getting a lot of backlash around it. Whereas Goldie Block started, you know, 
pure and true, like this is why we're here. <laughs> yeah. This is what we're doing. This is the purpose. And that has been really loud and clear from day one. Yeah. No, I, I can, I'm picturing Barbie in my head and I'm thinking, you know, they're sort of, you know, they can't win either way because if they stick to the original, then they're not, you know, embracing, you know, as you said, um, empowering women today and kind of being inclusive. And yet when they do it, it does. It kind of feels like, well, you're just doing this so you can check the box sometimes. <laughs> so, I mean, to be fair to them, it's probably a tough line to toe. But I I think also you're right. You don't, you know, Goldie Blocks' history started in this very much a, a place of like, I'm a female engineer and and I think also your story associated with it is probably also what people really love. It's like you, you are a woman who grew up with dolls and as you said, really girly, but you became an engineer and now you're building toys to help introduce women or girls to toys that can help them be better at building and making and which... I guess it has like, as you said, the domino effect in other places. But I think people really associate, I heard of advice once where it was like, people don't fall in love with brands, they fall in love with people. And I'm sure your story, as you said, in your Kickstarter, I had to let everyone know how excited I was. They probably fell in love with your passion for it too. And then, if, you know, your hope is that at a certain point you build this brand and people are like, okay, I'm also in love with goalie blocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. <laughs> well, so I, I do love that the main character of your products is Goldie, the engineer. And I think it's really fascinating because she's, she is always solving a problem. I, it reminds me of those shows like TGIF TV shows when we were kids where it's like, you know, at the end of the storyline, they would all hug at the end. It would be like this lesson they learn. And for her, it's like, she's always like, here's the problem I've solved, you know? So <laughs> I like the wholesomeness of it. I'm kind of curious, what's the science behind the importance of role models for girls? And I actually just got asked this the other day because um, someone else was telling me that they're starting a company all based off of the science of how important role models play in girls' life. So I'm kind of curious, what, what did your research tell you? Well, they're incredibly important. I mean, I knew instinctively when I started Goldie Blocks that they were important. And I think that was why just like common sense told me, you know, if if I want to get girls interested in engineering, I need to make an engineer cool, <laughs> like <Yeah>. an engineer <laughs> girl that they want to be like. Right. And I think that that, you know, that stemmed from a couple of things. One, I was researching what are the most popular toys. They're toys that have enter- entertainment properties attached to them. And uh, because all of us humans love and are inspired by stories. And so that was just something that felt like very instinctive to me. But years later now, I mean, there has just been research study after research study proving actually, you know, uh, quantitatively that role models make a huge impact and difference in girls' lives. Everything from girl, you know, like now there's gender parity between uh, women and men as doctors. And one of the big contributing factors to that has been the prevalence of female doctors on TV. Right. You know, you can see it. It's like, oh, you know, a doctor, a surgeon can be a woman. You know, you see it. But there is still a huge lack of female engineer and coding characters on uh, TV and media, especially in children's entertainment. And so that's just a huge white space that really needs to be filled. And as soon as it is, it's it's going to make a big change. Right. No, that that's incredible. I'm kind of curious, too, if you've ever faced criticism for what Goldie looks like. And I just mean from the standpoint of, you know, she's white and she has blonde hair. And I, I mean, I, I guess in the world we live in, are you thinking like – at some point, we need to have other characters that are, you know, diverse. And it, I don't know if you've ever faced criticism with that. That's a great question. So so when I first uh, sketched the Goldie character, 
like literally this was what was going on in my head. Oh, her name's Goldie, so she should have blonde hair. Right. Oh, it would be great if she wasn't white, but then like if she's not white and she has blonde hair, that might kind of look like she dyed it. And I don't know if I if she's the kind of girl that would dye her hair. So I'll right. make her blonde and white. Like that was literally my thought process. And then back then, at the very beginning, even on our Kickstarter page, I knew, you know, well, if she's blonde and white, we have to show more diversity. So uh, let's have her African-American friend and let's have her Hispanic friend and her Asian friend. And and that was, a you know, that was a priority from day one. Right. Uh, However, you know, she was the main character. And so she was the one everybody was looking at and talking about. Right. There was a really mixed reaction to her being blonde and white. Some people loved it because they said, oh, this is really great that, uh, you know, blondes are usually thought of as like the dumb blonde. Right. And so I love the fact that you have a smart blonde. And then on the flip side, people were disappointed saying, you know, we don't need another blonde white character. We already have Barbie. I thought this was supposed to be the anti-Barbie. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. And so there was a mixed reaction. And uh over the years, as I've been developing Goldie Blocks and the backstories and the characters and the friends, I have learned so much about just the importance of really prioritizing diversity. Right. You know, and it's, and it's so funny. Like, um, for example, when, when we launched Goldie's friend Ruby, who is African-American and she's a coder, we put a ton of energy behind her. We made a whole viral video around her. We turned her into an action figure. And as soon as we started to do that, it was unbelievable to see all of the photos and videos that were coming in from our fans. All of a sudden, we had all these little black girls playing with Goldie Blocks. And yeah. prior to that, most of our fans were white. And so it was just like that one little change. And and not and, and the other thing that I learned about it, it's so important to even think about when you're developing a, a brand, and especially a character brand, cho- the choices you make, even like on the packaging or on the, on the poster, uh, is it just going to be Goldie by herself right. or is it going to be the whole crew? You know, these kinds. And, and then in in the show development, you know, wh- who are these other characters and are they important roles? Like, are they each really important? They have the, their backstories are as deep and as fascinating as Goldie's backstory. Right. right. And so these are the things that we have that have been a huge focus of the company. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's smart of you guys, too, to not say, oh, we'll just package it up together or however we want and people will like it. I mean, you're, I think one thing you've done really well is you're constantly listening and thinking about, okay, what what is building it for the customer? Again, building it for the audience, whereas um, when you don't do that, it's the, everyone always learns the minute they make the choice to do something not, impl- you know, not pro customer, but pro, I don't know, brand or advertiser, they always regret it. They always come back and go, that wasn't my best move. So that's, I I really love to hear that just because I, I, it's an important question and diversity. If people don't think it matters and it's like, you're just not listening. It, Mm -hmm. It absolutely does matter. Why do you think it's important for girls to be interested in STEM? I mean, why, why is it how does that impact companies and women's lives down the road? I mean, we talk a lot about how we need to get more women involved in STEM, but like, why is it actually important? Well, technology is changing our world at such a rapid pace. I mean, it's unbelievable to even think like 
Like, can you even remember what life was like before the iPhone? Honestly, I've had this thought before. Like, what would I do without the iPhone for, like, directions? And I'm like, oh, no, that would be bad. (laughs) And then think about just, like, how we're now able to, you know, you can buy a car online. And pretty soon you won't even be driving that car because it's going to drive itself. And then, you know, I mean, if you just think about how rapidly the world is changing because of technology, you can start to think about sort of the – the economy and what the jobs are and, you know, how the world is so rapidly changing and whether you're a car designer or a marketer or a photographer, like having these skills in STEM are going to be really relevant in this new economy. Right. And so it's, it's such a shame that for so long this, you know, the, the, the STEM careers have been sort of this boys club or considered like the, the, the male jobs right? because they're the fastest growing jobs worldwide, period. And not only are they the fastest growing jobs, they're higher paid jobs. Right. And on top of that, they're really important jobs because they're literally building the world in which we live. Right. And so if we don't have girls and women represented in these jobs, what happens is girls and women are then not getting equal access to opportunity, economic opportunity. Uh, They are not contributing to solving the world's greatest problems, which is what these jobs do. And when they're not involved in that, the solutions are just not going to be as good, period. Right. Because these, the things that engineers and people with, you know, with STEM degrees are building, they affect all of us. And so if you don't have represent, if the people who are building and solving these problems don't look like and fully represent the people that it's serving, you're going to miss a lot. Right. Right. So so that's why those are just a few reasons right. why it's so important. And also not you're saying that that's just some of the few reasons. It's like not to mention we've we've come up with all this research and even proven that more diverse companies perform better financially. It's like how much more research do we need to have, you know, to prove that this is important? I also think getting more women involved in STEM, whether you decide to pursue working in the technology department at a company, just having knowledge about you know, how are you going to be able to collaborate or work with someone on the tech side of the company to finish your project? I always think it's so interesting. It's like you need to be able to to communicate and collaborate with them as well. So even if you're like, I don't want to spend all day coding and back end and this and that, that's okay. But it's, I don't want to say it's not acceptable. I just think for women today to say, I'm going to at least have some knowledge of this, you know, so that we're, we're at least talking about the same stuff. Because at the end of the day, you want to be in the room, as you're saying, like, that's making the decisions of what product do we build? How, what's the solution for this that we're going to create for our company? And those are, those are really important conversations to be part of. Yeah, I completely agree. I remember as a little girl, you know, math was one of my favorite subjects, but I always thought to myself, well, I don't want to be a mathematician. So, you know, I I don't think I would major in in math. And it's just, it's just like one of those, you know, I think a lot of people might think, oh, well, you know, computer science is interesting, but, you know, I don't want to sit at a computer coding all day, so I'm not going to do computer science. And I think to your point, you know, that's, you know, that's an unfortunate misperception because, you know, it, it, like I studied mechanical engineering. I didn't even end up becoming a mechanical engineer. Right. You know, I'm I'm a CEO of a toy company. Right. But those skills that I learned were incredibly relevant, right? Like right. I never would have been able to build my initial prototypes and I'd never be able to work with our factories and I'd never be able to understand, you know, how 
uh, how to build a product. And, and now, even though I'm not the one actually, you know, sitting there and making, you know, CAD renderings, you know, I, I know enough to be dangerous and I know enough to be able to lead the team and give really good input and understand, like, what's possible and what's not. Right. I love that. I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. So because of the, the Goldie Block success and the very positive response from consumers, you were starting to see some big toy companies rethink pink, which I just, I love that they've always got to put their own spin. Like, we're not just going to finally admit that we've been ignoring this. We're going to rethink pink <laughs> and reconsider what they're creating for girls, the messages they're sending and more. What changes are you seeing in the toy industry today? So obviously you started in 2012. We've come a long way and technology is moving fast. What big changes are you seeing overall in the industry, especially with this rethink pink? A lot of changes. I'll start with Barbie. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Barbie has definitely made a bunch of changes recently, all of which I think, you know, I, I applaud that Barbie is now getting into more body diversity. And, right. you know, Barbie's trying on STEM and computer science, you know, so, so Mattel has definitely made a concerted effort with Barbie as well as with American Girl. Their yeah. latest uh, girl of the year is uh, an um, astronaut. And so they're definitely getting into STEM and they recognize that STEM is the movement. Again, you know, you sort of go back to, is it really authentic? Right. You know, which I think that's been the backlash, but they're definitely kind of dabbling in the STEM and girl empowerment space. Uh, Disney has really tried to, from a marketing perspective, talk about its princesses being empowering, right? Right. So it's like they have a Dream Big Princess campaign, and it's all about, like, imagery of girls wearing princess costumes caked in mud and and that kind of you know and girls who are dressed as a princess and doing karate and things like that right um so they've they've been dabbling in it even mga entertainment the makers of bratz dolls came out with a line called project mc squared and they're the the stem dolls so it's like bratz dolls with glasses and a lab right. coat so you know a lot of people have been kind of uh i would say responding to sort of this this wave that's going on now and and even target uh there was a big story about them taking down their gender labeling in their toy aisles oh, and so that's good all of this is good mm -hmm. but there's still a really long way to go right right and I wonder if it also starts with the toys that are in the classrooms and parent. I mean, obviously that that's an involvement, but I'm kind of curious, like, is the educational system play a role in this too? Or, or like, this is clearly thought of as like outside of school activities. Well, I think, I think it's both. Right. And, you know, the thing that's, that's really exciting to me is that toys are really great learning tools, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, I've spoken with so many people, so many educators, and everybody wants to make STEM appealing and fun, right? And everybody wants, and, and people are, and the research is now showing the earlier you do that, the better. Right. And so toys are a really great option in terms of, like, if you, I know, there are a lot of ways to make STEM really unappealing yeah. <laughs> to kids and <laughs> girls in particular, right. and the, and that has been done for a long time. Right. So so now finally, I think the tide is turning, and and at least there's a lot of interest and demand to make this stuff fun and engaging, uh, and so 
So yeah, toys are a great way to do that. And, and I'm, you know, Goldie Blocks has certainly been used in many, many classrooms around the world, as have other great STEM toys that are on the market. And, you know, and, and then supplementing that as well with just, you know, after school or playing when you're at home. You know, I, I don't know any parent that wouldn't want their kid to be spending their free time, you know, with something that they're also learning something. Right. And having fun. Absolutely. So I want to shift to entrepreneurship uh, since you've been doing it for a while and running your own business. So I read that while Goldie Blocks was experiencing amazing growth and success that an anonymous employee survey revealed that your employees felt like Goldie Blocks culture didn't tolerate failure, which I'm sure as an entrepreneur where you know that you're constantly taking a risk and potentially failing, I'm sure that was a bit it was probably hard to take and probably a little devastating. How did you handle that? And what type of culture does Goldie Blocks have today? So it's so that's a great question. The whole kind of premise of, of Goldie Blocks and what we're trying to teach kids is uh, you don't have to be perfect. Right. Like, because girls have such a complex from a really young age of, oh, everything has to be perfect. And, oh, if I, I don't even, I'm not even going to try something if I'm not sure I'm going to be perfect at it. And so, so much of the uh, genesis of the company and why I started in the first place was I wanted to send the message to little girls, like, you don't have to be perfect. And in fact, failing is an integral part to being successful in engineering and entrepreneurship for that matter. And helping girls build the grit to kind of pick themselves up when they fail and not even think about failing as failure, but thinking of it as sort of what did I learn and what am I going to try next? Right. And so it, to me, it was sort of like, well, that's so obvious that of course that's also a value of the company. Right. And so when we, when we started putting out surveys to just, you know, let's just see, like, it's so funny cause it's, building culture is so important and there's no real playbook on how to do that. Right. I remember thinking, you know, in my very early days and my earliest mentors would just constantly ask me about culture and how are you building the culture? And I'm like, well, I don't know. What does that mean? Does that mean we have to like have, you know, pizza Friday? Like what, like, yeah, what, what is that? Ping pong tables in the lobby. Ping pong, like (laughs) how do you build culture? And so it's taken me many years to kind of really start to understand what that is. And, I think one thing we did right was asking people, what do you perceive of our culture? Like what's going well and what isn't? Even just taking the time to even just ask. And when, you know, when there were a few people saying, I don't believe this company tolerates failure, it was just like, oh my God, I just felt like the wind got knocked out of me. I'm like, how could that be? And why, and, and what I came to realize um, that we had been doing is, Goldie Blocks had been setting, you know, such audacious goals from the very beginning. And in many ways, that was a good thing because right. we set out to be the winner of the Super Bowl competition and we actually won. And you got it. Yeah. I, I <laughs> and, remember that Super Bowl ad too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'd set out to, when we launched our first app, it wasn't like, oh, let's just launch this app and make a great product. It was like, no, we need to have 1 million downloads. And that right. was our goal. And we achieved it. So right. it was like... The bar was set yeah, very high. The bar was set very, very high. But it got to the point where I realized that actually 
the key to having a happy team and, you know, to make this sustainable. It's it's not that it's not okay to have audacious goals, but, you know, the general operating goals of the company need to be, okay, let's set a goal that is very achievable. That like, you know, not that it's going to be easy to achieve, but if we all work hard and we all, you know, and, and with the resources we have, we're pretty sure we're going to hit this goal or get pretty close to it. Right. And, and, and that was a lesson that I learned earlier on. Not that you can't also have like the big, fat, hairy, audacious goal on there, but that the company is not not relying on whether or not that that you hit that goal. Right. Um, And so that was one kind of major change that that we made that I think helped with that a lot. Yeah. And it's it's great to hear that too, because like your Kickstarter was super successful. You, you know, won the Super Bowl ad from Intuit. So then you got your Super Bowl ad. You had all this, you know, fanfare. I mean, that it was almost like as I with the question, like the success of the company was growing so rapidly that I can understand why one wasn't matching up with the other, you know? And I also feel like this is um, something we talk a lot about on the podcast is people who are these overachievers. And what happens is like, it's just, it's like they don't even enjoy the success of this one thing because you're always looking for the next and it really sucks the joy out of really everything. And and it can suck the joy out of a culture too, to have that. So uh, I think that's great. And I think for entrepreneurs and and any, really any manager, it's always a fine balance between, I want to set a goal that, you know, hopefully we can get, but I don't want to set it so low that, you know, it's not actually contributing to the bottom line or you don't want to make it too easy either. So, and I, I don't, I don't know, if there's never going to be an exact science for that. And I know people want to use a lot of data to come up with, you know, trending and reports. And, and you're like, well, yes, but it doesn't always work. You know, it is a mix of that art and science. Mm-hmm. Hey there, let's take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like there is something preventing you from moving forward, setting and achieving goals, or really just in the way of feeling fulfilled? Have you ever wondered if counseling might be a great option for you? Meet BetterHelp, online counseling that's here for you. BetterHelp allows you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Get help on your own time and at your own pace with over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states to choose from. They're specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, self-esteem, grief, sleeping, you name it, they specialize in it. You can start communicating via text, chat, phone, and video in under 24 hours as well. Anything you share is confidential. And as you've heard on our exact show, asking for and getting help is a powerful act of self-care. If you think counseling might be a great step, check out BetterHelp for their professional, secure, and convenient options. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. The Females listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code FEMALES. That's F-E-M-A-I-L-S. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com females. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com females. All right, now let's get back to the show. So I want to kind of I'm curious because you've dealt with a lot of challenges around gender stereotyping. Um, so I would be kind of curious to know what would be your advice be for women who face bias and discrimination at work? It could be 
negotiating for themselves or launching their own companies and, you know, trying to fundraise or, um, or even becoming a working parent. There's, there's studies that show that women face more bias when they become a working parent. So as someone who, who's kind of made her life or career out of disrupting a, a, a pink aisle, what would be your advice for those women? Well, a couple things. I think something that I do now and I feel like it's kind of part of my mission in life to do is when that happens, I think women may have a tendency to experience that and then maybe go gossip about it, you know, with their close, you know, female friends. Right. Like, oh, this person or whatever treated me this way. Da, 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 da. And that person never really, that person may not hear that right. ever. Right. Or maybe go talk to HR or whatever, like, and, and then they may mishandle it or whatever. Right. And so one thing that I like to do, and I know this takes a lot of courage, but when it happens in the moment, you know, right afterward, I will often just pull that person aside and just say, you know what, I just want you to know that when you said that, it made me feel this way. And I, I know that's probably not what you intended, but I just wanted to make you aware of it. Right. It takes a lot of courage it does. to say that to somebody, especially if it's somebody who you might be raising money, trying to raise money from or trying to get a promotion from, or it may even be your boss or whatever. Right. But I will tell you that like, if you do it in a respectful way, not like in a respectful, like let's give this person the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's not what they meant. So they don't feel like they're being attacked. A lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of times these men, you know, respond very positively. Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was doing that. Oh right. my gosh, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh, thank you right. for saying something. And so I've had a lot of success with that strategy. I'm not going to say it's going to work every time. Right. If the guy's a pig head, he's a pig head. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if he's like a really decent guy who's just like, yeah. you know, like put his foot in his mouth, th those guys appreciate that. Right. Or even your female boss who rolled her eyes in the meeting. Well, maybe she was rolling her eyes because she just got a text message that, I don't know, her kid got a tattoo and she's like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I'm going to kill him. No, I'm just kidding. Um I, I like that advice because I do think it's difficult, but I and I think people can gradually work their way up to it. But it's it's also very in a way, it's simple advice, right? If something happens that makes you feel maybe uncomfortable or something wasn't right there, address it right away versus let it simmer, talk to, you know, 15 friends. And now three weeks later, you're still thinking about it, right? Yes. I, I'm not speaking from experience or anything like that. <laughs> um, okay. So last question before we go into rapid fire, what's one thing you wish you had known before launching your career and later your own company? Mm. Something I wish I had known was the power of networking because I remember when I was in college and even early in my professional career, I remember always thinking to my, ugh, I hate networking. Right. I don't want to go to this networking event. I don't want to have to go have fake conversations with people. And I often just like sort of be the person in the corner who'd maybe found one person to talk to the whole night. And I always thought that networking was just sort of this shallow thing that, you know, people do to try to get ahead. Right. And so uh, for, for many years, I kind of avoided it. And finally, when I discovered entrepreneurship and I discovered my passion for Goldie Blocks and started reading books of other entrepreneurs and what they've you know, how they were successful, what were the keys to their success. It was all about networking. 
And there's a way that you can network that's not shallow and, and totally self-serving. Right. There's a way you can network where you really do genuinely meet people who you share a common interest with and you share your passion and they're passionate about that too. And what I've learned is that the more you put yourself out there and make opportunity for those sorts of interactions – so many people actually love and want to help right? and want to make, you know, in a way that they're like, oh, well, I know so-and-so and I know this and I can hook you up with that. Right. I love doing that because I love showing off all the people I know right, and the ways right. that I can. And I think that people inherently want to help people. I think so, too. And so I guess that's what I would tell my younger self is, you know, don't be turned off by networking. Think about it as a really powerful tool. And I also think that what happens is, you know, the beginning of your career, networking takes kind of work to to feel comfortable at it, to do it. And so I think a lot of us get thrown off the networking track because the first few times you do it, it's super uncomfortable. Or maybe, it, you know, you weirdly interrupted someone in the middle of their sentence to say hello and now you feel so awkward, you know, whatever it is. And I also think, like most things, you just have to keep trying it too and, and you get better. But yeah, I mean, networking when you're first out of college or when you're first starting your career, I think is always a little strange, but you do, you, you definitely get better with it. And I think you, like you said, you're able to help more people, right? All of a sudden you've kind of felt that, you know, the high of being able to help a person connect them to somebody else. And now they're going to, you know, work on some project together and it feels really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I definitely can relate to that. Okay, so we've got rapid fire. <laughs> uh, so these are one word answers or one sentence. So short. What's one thing about you that would surprise most people? I've run two marathons. Wow, that's impressive. If you weren't running your own company, I guess pun intended, <laughs> if you weren't running your own company, you'd be an artist. I love that. Favorite Goldie Blocks product? The Dunk Tank. How do you plan to disrupt your career in 2019? Hmm. Get entrenched in the entertainment industry. <laughs> the big one. That's definitely disruptive. That industry is always moving. Well, thank you, Debbie, so much for joining us today. It's been amazing to hear about just how you've started Goldie Blocks, but also the disruption of the pink aisle. I think all of us will, will never look at the aisles the same again. <laughs> uh, and I'm speaking from someone who doesn't have kids. So now I'm like, I'm so curious what it's looking like these days. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That was Debbie Sterling, founder of Goldie Blocks and a woman disrupting the pink aisle. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Females and leave us a review. We're so grateful to hear from you, our listeners. And here's what E. Weedock recently said in her iTunes review. I finish each episode feeling inspired to not only live my best life, but also motivated to take my career and aspirations to another level. Thank you so much. And if you want to hear your review read on the podcast, you know what to do. Ready for more smart career advice? Sign up for our free 28-day career kickstart via the link in the show notes or head over to careercontessa.com. You'll get one email a week that includes everything you need to up-level your career. It's free and it can change your life. I'll be back next Tuesday with Laura Vanderkam, an author and time management expert. But until then, you can follow us on at careercontessa on Instagram, Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. 
time management is all about treating our priorities as the equivalent of that broken water heater. Like we decide that come hell or high water, as they say, you are going to find <laughs> the seven hours for those things that you need to do. And, and when you approach it that way with that sense of urgency, you can get a lot done. 